We turn then in God's word this morning to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8. God in his grace provides. See, we read Exodus chapter 20. We hear the, those, just those ten commandments. There's more to come, right? There's more in the book of Exodus that's going to follow. There is more in the book of Leviticus that is to come as far as God's will for their lives. How are they going to live? But hearing just those ten words, the people's reaction is, we can't take this. We are condemned. We we will never be able to come before God. If these are his rules, Moses, you go up. You go up. You you seem to have a relationship with him. You go up and speak to him, and, and we're going to stay here. When God is finished with his laws and providing to them a place where they might worship him right in the midst of the camp, God comes and he says, I realize the problem. Not that it's new to me, but I've known this all along. Even as the tree planted in the garden, I knew where this would go, so I already had my plan of redemption in place to bring forth a Messiah. I know you're not going to keep this law, but I have a provision. Here are all those sacrifices. For seven chapters, God goes on to speak of those sacrifices that we covered in those chapters of Leviticus. This is the means. You need sacrifice. You need something to come in your place. In order to approach me, in order to come near to me, you need a sacrifice. But then the question became, well, if we bring the sacrifice, we're sinners. How how does that not taint the sacrifice? But you see, God already had the provision for that. In chapter 8 and in chapter 9, God is now providing them the means by which the sacrifice itself will be accepted. He's providing them with a high priest. And as we read this chapter, okay, understand this is the, you know, we could read this chapter from our side and go, man, what a lot of rules and regulations. From the Israelites' standpoint, it's like, Oh, there is someone there, someone there to offer the sacrifice. They are the ones who is a holy person who will indeed take the sacrifice and offer it before the Lord and it will be acceptable to him. My sin is dealt with. My failures are dealt with. Understand then the great gift that God has given to us in our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is not only the priest, but the sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bowl of the sin offering and the two rams and a basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing the Lord has commanded to be done. 
And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim. And he set the turban on his head and put the turban in front and set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils, the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering and he killed it. Moses took the blood and with it he with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar And poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. Out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. And Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was the ordination offering with a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire, and you shall not go outside 
the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things the Lord commanded by Moses. Thus far the reading of God's breathed out word to us. Let's bow in prayer. Our Holy Father in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for this portion of your word, of your holy word that we get to hear on a weekly basis and a daily basis as we open it up at home. Lord, we pray that thou be with Pastor Bob and give him the words to declare through thy Holy Spirit and that we may take them in and that we may leave this place changed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So by this chapter by this service that we are going to look at this morning, God is setting aside by command to Moses, Aaron and his sons to establish the priesthood, in particular the high priesthood that Aaron is going to be involved in as first. So we want to look at three things, first of all, a high priest. God is giving them a high priest. Secondly, we want to look at the high priest, who is indeed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then, thirdly, some more priests. Some more priests. First of all, though, the high priest. I want you to note the following items in regards to this service of ordination, this service of consecration for Aaron as the high priest. One, it is to be public. Verse 3 tells us specifically, and assembly and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now that entrance, as, as I recall, is only about 30 feet wide. And there is a fence around this entire tabernacle, high enough that nobody can see over. And, and it poses an interesting thing. Everybody come to the entrance of the tent of meeting. That doesn't mean the entrance of the tabernacle. That means the entrance which was as far as they were allowed to go. This entrance to the courtyard. Assemble all the congregation. By the time we have Leviticus 8 written, that group of people numbers somewhere between 2 to 3 million people. All trying to peer in to an opening in a fence that's approximately 30 feet long. So what do you suppose the likelihood is that anybody saw anything? It's probably not very likely. But God said you come. God said you come. See, God's not interested in the fact of, well, everybody's got to see exactly what's going on. Everybody's got to hear exactly what's going on. Everybody's got to catch it. Everybody's got to be in tune with it. No, you as my people, you come. And you come because I'm calling you. I'm calling you to come. I'm calling you to assemble. Remember this hearkening back a few weeks ago when we had from the Westminster Confession, okay, what is the church? It's the ones who are the called out ones. 
It's not about our seeing. It's not about our getting it. It's not about our emotions. It's not about our feelings. It's about God calling and saying, come. I'm calling you as the congregation of my people to come and assemble. What a a picture is laid out before us then in this chapter of people who, who have the desire, right, of Psalm 84. They just want to come. They want to become because God has called them to come. And the great privilege it is just to respond to the call of God to come. We read of nobody staying home. We read of no one hanging back. They came. God wanted in a public manner to show forth to the people he was giving them a high priest. A public assembly. Secondly, it's by the Lord's means. There there is nothing in this chapter, and I hope you caught how many times it comes to us. There is nothing in this chapter that Moses is doing on his own. There's no Moses interjecting, and Moses thought it would be a good idea to do this. And Moses thought it would be a lot nicer if we did this. It's all by the command of God, as God commanded, as God commanded, as God spoke, as God has given it to me. Moses is simply the intermediary here. He is simply fulfilling the function that he did back in Exodus chapter 20 of the one who is the go-between, the one who is the mediator. Everything he's doing, everything in this chapter is God's doing. That means that, that, that we really cannot overlook any of it. We, we can't just look past it. We can't just say, well, that's not... That, that's not really important. That, that's not really vital. No, it was the God. It's God who comes to this congregation. And he comes to Moses and he says, this is the way you are to go about the ordaining, the consecrating of a high priest. So everything within this chapter should take on vital interest, not only to the people of interest, of Israel, but to you and I is the church of Jesus Christ as well. So what does the Lord ask them to do? Well, there's actually five things. I know your notes only have four, so I'll tell you where you're interjecting one. One, it involved washing. Verse six. First thing they have to do. First thing. Before they do anything else. Here come Aaron and here come his sons and they're going and Moses is going to wash them. And the washing is going to be a public washing. Now of course there exists the question, so did they take off their clothes? No, because we know that that is n- that one of the things that Aaron and his sons are never to do is to expose themselves to the congregation. There's laws about even as you go up the steps. Okay? So they, they had to wear special undergarments, okay, in, in order that when they went up the steps of the brazen altar, nobody might catch a glimpse of the back of their legs. What's he doing then? 
It's a ceremonial washing. Right? And we read about this back in the book of Exodus as well. What is a ceremonial washing? You take water, you put in a branch of hyssop, and you go like this. He washed them. Israelites understood that that is a washing. Now, it's not a bathing, okay? But that's not the word that's used here. So he, he, is, he is saying there's something about you. you. You are sinners, and you need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. There's the picture. So we have a whole bunch of verses dealing with that. Secondly, it involved clothing. After he has washed him, now they bring forward the clothing of the high priest and of the other priest. We find that back in the book of Exodus. I believe it's chapter 39. And there's chapters and chapters back there in Exodus about these clothes and what they look like. They made them. They had them. But they're not using them yet. So God said, make for me. Make this. Make this. Make this. What are we going to do with it? Well, God in his time now reveals what they're going to do with these. These items are for the high priest. We are now beginning the work of the priesthood in Israel. So take those clothes, those special garments, that special clothing that, that, that represents beauty, it represents holiness, it represents righteousness, and it represents that the person wearing those clothes is a mediator between God and the people and between the people and God. The names of the tribes that are engraved in onyx stones. The twelve stones on the breastplate of, what's it called? Righteousness. The representation that as the priest comes before God in that holy of holies. That he comes as the representative of the people. And their righteousness is to be found in Christ alone. So he dresses them. He puts on those special clothes. Third, this is the one you have to insert. He anoints them. He anoints them with oil, but not just any oil. The passage tells us the anointing oil. There was a special list of ingredients that went into this anointing oil. And this anointing oil was was never to be duplicated by the Israelites. It was never to be used for common purposes by the Israelites. You were never to have some little anointing oil in your house and and do your own anointing of your own family. No, this was anointing oil that was holy to the Lord and was only to be used for the Lord's purposes. And notice as we look at that, okay, that it speaks about the fact that now we sprinkle this anointing oil. On the tabernacle and everything in it, setting it apart. So now not only do we have sacrifices, but we have a place where the sacrifices are to be given. A place holy, now set apart, consecrated to the Lord. He takes some of that oil and sprinkles it on Aaron and his sons and on their clothing. And there is a picture here of of it coming down on Aaron's head. Remember the psalm? Psalm 133. The beauty of this for the people of Israel. 
They see this as a beautiful sight when when that oil comes down Aaron's hair, down his beard, and trickles upon his clothing. That he as the high priest has been anointed by God. Been given a place, been, been given a situation, been given a calling to serve the Lord on their behalf. So he sprinkles the tabernacle. He sprinkled the altar. He sprinkles Aaron. Now, just think. Remember, he just put these clothes on him. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest problems Pastor Bob has is when he goes for Sunday dinner, okay, is that stuff ends up on my ties. And somehow or another, when that stuff is oily, you never get it out. Right? There's probably ties I can go to and say, I was at such and such a person's house on such and such a day, and there's the spot. See, the point was they were never to wash those priests' clothes. They're never going to be washed. They will always, always have those spots where that oil was sprinkled. They don't have to do this every day. That priesthood, the priest themselves is going to die, but the priesthood was never going to end. Symbolized by that oil there upon their clothing. Four, it involves sacrifices. Verse 14, verse 18, verse 22. A reminder not only of the fact that that these are individuals called to a, a task, but they're sinners. These are sinful men. Aaron is a sinful man. His sons are sinful men. We're going to learn that in a couple of weeks, the Lord willing. These are not perfect people. The priesthood, the priesthood has its place. But the men who fill the office are imperfect people. There needs to be a sin offering. There needed to be special offerings just for Aaron, just for Aaron, just for his sons. And the people of Israel, you see, are, are looking, they're seeing this. What are, what's he doing now? He's offering offerings. For who? For Aaron, for his sons. Well, why is he doing that? They're sinners. They're like us. Aaron is no more holy as Aaron than he is any other Israelite. But it is his calling, it is this place that God is giving to him, setting him apart. That is that which is being recognized. But the humanity, the fact that it's a sinful man, that also is being recognized. So we have sacrifices. And then we have blood. There's blood everywhere this day. But to the Israelites, you see, and to you and I, this this should not be a horrible, gory thing. This is beautiful. Because that blood is the reminder of the atonement. The atonement from sin. The covering of sin. So what did they do? First of all, verse 19, or I think it's verse 19, says, Moses threw blood against the altar. It's interesting what is done with this blood, right? So you, you, you have an altar 
that sacrifices are already on, which means it's hot. And he takes blood of these offerings and throws it up against that altar. You hear the sizzle? Right? The steam, the smoke, the smell. If you do any grilling, you understand the, the, the idea that's happening here. Throws it up against This is what is needed. It's the blood. And then he takes some of that blood and he places it. And doesn't this just captivate your, your attention? Right? First of all, on the right lobe of Aaron's ear. Then on Aaron's right thumb. And then Aaron's big toe. What does that mean? From head to foot. From top to bottom. The blood has cleansed his mind, his heart, his walk. Aaron has been set aside, apart. Moses does the same thing with his sons. And then Moses takes some of that anointing oil and some of that blood and he takes that and as as Aaron and his sons are standing before him, he sprinkles them with it. Not only that their life is now set apart, mind, heart, soul, their life is set apart. But they, they themselves are covered and cleansed from their sin. And every day when these priests would take up their work, they put on those clothes. See, the clothes were kept in the tabernacle. They don't take them home. They're kept there. They come to work. They put on their clothes. What do they see? I'm anointed. I'm covered with blood, the sacrifice, so that their whole life, their everyday life, is covered by the calling that is upon them and the covering of their sin and the atonement by the sacrifice. Hundred years later, high priest goes in, puts on those clothing. Guess what? Still got that blood and oil on it. Two hundred years later, the priest goes in, puts on that, those high priest clothes. Guess what? It's still got that blood and oil on it. What a picture for the people of Israel of the work and functioning of this priest. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. The book of Hebrews chapter 5. I know our brother Mark is taking us through Hebrews, so I didn't take huge sections and go here, there, and everywhere. I'm just going to look at Hebrews chapter 5, and and there just a few verses. 
The title back in chapter 4 of the section that begins at chapter 4.14 is entitled Jesus the Great High Priest. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And then he goes on, in, further on in this section, in, now into chapter 5, of, of setting apart okay, Christ. Of setting apart Jesus. Go to verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8. Did Aaron win some sort of campaign to be high priest? Was there like five guys running for the job and Israelites voted and, oh, look at this, Aaron won it. Is there any indication that Aaron even wanted the job? Is there any indication that Aaron stepped forward and said, I want to be priest. God, make me priest. No, the whole passage is about God saying, you take Aaron. You take Aaron. It's about God appointing Aaron. What the author to Hebrews is saying about our great high priest, Jesus Christ, is that he too was appointed by God. Appointed before the foundations of the world to be our Savior, to be the sacrifice, but also to be the one who offers the sacrifice. Jesus Christ said, I lay down my own life. No one takes it from me. Why are those words important? Nobody functioned as the priest in the offering of Christ except Christ. He's not only sacrifice, he is the priest appointed by God. Appointed by the Father. To serve in that capacity. Read on. And he says also in another place. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. With loud cries and tears. To him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. What is the function of that Old Testament priest? But to bring the prayers of God's people through sacrifice. To be that mediator of the people of God. That was his purpose. That was his function. What is the author of Hebrews saying? Jesus Christ fulfilled that. He too offered up prayers. And he was heard. Because of his reverence. One of the things we could do is we could trace the priesthood of Old Testament Israel and we're going to come up with some scoundrels. Two chapters later, we're going to find some scoundrels who are not fit to be priests. Even though they were given the position, they had no reverence for the position. But Christ is heard because of his reverence, because of his respect, because of of his desire to please the Father. Read on. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Not only is there reverence, there's obedience. One of the things that we find in, in this is, as we go through the book of Leviticus, boy, it's a good thing God gave him a manual. It's a good thing he gave him the word. It's a good thing he, he laid out exactly what was supposed to do when somebody shows up with a red spot on their skin. Because they didn't know. They needed that in order to be obedient to the Lord. And yet time and time and time again we find the disobedience of the priesthood. But what do we find in Christ? Perfect obedience. Humbling himself even to death, the death on the cross. Verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was designated. What does it mean to be in the order of Melchizedek? It means for eternity. It means forever. It means not until his death. But it means forever. Aaron's going to die. His son's going to take over. He's going to die. Another one, another one, another one. Over and over and over again. Remember what I told you about the spots? They're always there. As a reminder to the one who is now a priest. That it is the priesthood. That God is setting apart. Christ. Priesthood. Is forever. So that what? We have this confidence. He is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So when we're in chapter 8 of Leviticus, we're not really in chapter 8 of Leviticus. What we're really in is Hebrews chapter 5. What we're really seeing is that which God was going to do in and through his beloved son Jesus Christ. Christ, establishing him as a priest forever and ever and ever. One who had no sin. That's why there is no sacrifice for him. You say, what about the clothes? He was clothed in his righteousness. He didn't need the clothing of the priesthood of the Old Testament because his life his obedience, his reverence is the clothing of righteousness. What about his washing? John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come to be baptized. No, 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 no. No, I need to be baptized by you, Lord. Not... No, we need to do this to fulfill all things. It is part of that which sets Christ aside as the glorious high priest. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this a beautiful thing to look at when you look at these two passages and see what God is doing? But you want to know something else? We're not done with priest. 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Peter is addressing. The dispersed church of the New Testament. Those who have been called by God out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those who who are the believers in Jesus Christ. Those who know that he is the sacrifice and the sacrificer. That he is the heavenly high priest. This is who Peter is addressing. And he says to them, chapter 2, verse 9. But you, you, church, you believer in Jesus Christ are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You. What does that mean? It means because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As you come to the Father, You can approach the Father. When you come to worship, you're no longer outside of the tabernacle. You're no longer trying to peer through that that opening in the fence. You're in the Holy of Holies. When we gather to worship, you, As the royal priesthood, clothed in Christ, are in the very presence of God. Because you're priest. We we understand the priesthood of all believers. Not only to mean that that we have the right and privilege of worshiping God and being in his presence. That there isn't some secret thing over there that only some of us get to do. And the rest of you are excluded. But you as priests are are welcomed into God's very presence. But you can also pray. One of the ladies that I had a conversation with in Germany at the conference, well, the conference was in Czech Republic, so had a conversation with her in the Czech Republic, had come out of a a very (laughs) radical Pentecostal church. She came through the reading of God's word to the realization that she didn't need to speak to God in a special language and a special tongue, and God only heard that. She came to the understanding that she, because of Christ, could speak to the Lord. What an amazing thing. You and I have the opportunity regularly to speak to God. Because we have 
one who stands before the Father and says, They're mine. Hear them. They're mine. Listen to them. My blood covers them. They've been anointed and given the Holy Spirit. Hear that which they say. Listen. Ah, the invitation of the Father to us as priests. But notice what Peter said. We're not just priests. We're royal priests. We're royal priests. What does that mean? It means we have the privilege of this because we are the children of God. We are God's children. He has adopted us. And he brings us into his presence. Oh, that was pictured for us back there in Leviticus. There, there is, there is a, a shadow of it. There, there's part of that revelation. But now the fullness of that revelation in Christ has come. And you and I, you and I, have the blessing that an Old Testament Israelite never had. We get to enter the Holy of Holies. Not only to worship, but to pray. May we be faithful in the glorious gift that God has given to us. Amen? Amen.